because the schoolboys there, they're all pressures all building up. He wins his two games, uh, but his teammates lose their three, and they're out, beaten by a team they were expected to beat. How does he feel at the end? He's done well. His parents, his grandparents are all chuffed, but there's still defeat to taste. Or maybe someone standing in a, in a by-election, or sorry, in a general election, and she wins her seat, the one that she's not expected to win. She's feeling great, but the party have lost power. And sometimes it's worse. Sometimes the her individual um, concerns and, and direction they, takes us away from what's in the interest of the, the team. Um, the one and only time I was... Um, playing softball, um, which is basically rounders. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of toned-down version of um, baseball, but baseball, you understand, is just people putting on uniform and then playing rounders. <laughs> Don't let an American tell you anything else. It's just... And my one time in softball, I remember, that was the, 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 as they say, the bases were loaded, and the, the, the guy who was kind of leading the team was saying to us, now the important thing is to just get our, you know, just get, get to the next base so that the other guys can move on and we'll get runs that way. But I remember a couple of the big burly students, it was a student team, the big burly students say, oh no, I'm going for the home run. I want to hit a home run. None of this kind of just get the rest of the, oh. And of course, they didn't do anything that was constructive for the team. But you see, their, their, their personal agenda was, I want to I do something that gets the, gets the attention. I want to get the glory here. I want to make my mark. Never mind how the, what the team's position is. Never mind what's good for the team. I just want to do it for myself. And so sometimes these things pull in different directions, don't they? What we experience or what we feel, what we want to do, and, and the bigger picture... And of course, things are actually at their best when, when these things work together. And the guy who wins his couple of Davis Cup matches is also on the winning team. And someone who's won the, -elect, the election, you know, the whole party have done, done well. That, that's, that's better. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, what the apostle is saying is that on both of these levels, on the, on the level of the, the big picture, the overall thing, and in the level of our individual life and experience, we can have that pulling together. That's the way God has made it and wants things to be, that these things pull together. The gospel is the announcement that God has and God will overcome all that's against him. And that rather than pull against that, rather than try to work out just something that suits us but is outside his purposes, the apostle saying life is in all its fullness is when we bring our life into line with who God is and what he's doing. Jesus said, follow me. He did not say, I'll follow you, I'll tag along and make sure that nothing untoward happens to you. Follow me. The direction, the story is his. And his was a call in our lives and our purposes to find their best in following him. Life is not an endless series of events, planned or random, but the working out of God's purposes 
towards his final goal at the end of time when his kingdom comes in all its fullness. And it's with that big picture that the apostle begins the letter, and he underlines that by talking about how the whole of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, works together to bring God's plan and purposes, verse 11, into being. And so in verses 3 to 6, he gives praise to God the Father who chose us. In verses 7 to 12, thanks for the Son who redeemed us. And in verses 13 to 14, thanks for the Holy Spirit who seals us. So verses 3 to 6, praise to God the Father who chose us. God takes the initiative as God's salvation, and that is underlined by God being, God the Father being the subject of almost every verb that there is in these verses. He blessed us, verse 3, chose us, verse 4, predestined, verse 5, given grace, verse 6, lavished, verse 8, made known, verse 9, purposed, verse 9, bring unity, verse 10, working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, verse 11. God, 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 who's doing this? And this act of God on our behalf, this graciousness of God is highlighted by the act of adoption which the apostle mentions in verse 5. We're not children of God simply by being born in the human race. It is a gracious act of God to bring sinners into his family. And so in John chapter 1, when he's, the apostle's talking about the Word becoming flesh, he talks about how the world, the world resisted and rejected. But to those who did believe, he says, he gave the right to become children of God. Many had rejected, many were going on rejecting, but to those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. Being a child of God is not automatic by by dint of being here, but by the gracious adoption of God who brings us into his family. He chooses to love us. He takes the initiative. That's what happens in adoption, isn't it? The one doing the adoption takes the initiative. We couldn't say to God, God, we need a wee bit more from you. Why don't you do better? The Christian faith is not something that we put together, but it's God's gracious act towards us. He did all of these things, the apostle says in these verses. And that work, that graciousness of God, of course, has its focus on the sending of Jesus. His purposes, his plan, focus on what he has done for us through Christ. He is the one around whom the whole of world history revolves. The one who is at the center of life, at the center of God's dealing with us. And the celebration of God's grace, which is the theme of these verses as they pour out their thankfulness and praise... The celebration of God's grace cannot get very far at all without bringing into the picture what God has done through Jesus, his son. And so 10 times in these 14 verses, 10 times it says either in Christ or in him. The gospel has its source in God the Father and it revolves around Jesus. And then verses 13 and 14, it's the Holy Spirit who brings us to life. For when we say that he is our Lord and he is our Savior, we then are included. This is where it becomes personal and particular as we respond. And the life of God, the presence of God is given to us through the Holy Spirit. When someone is adopted, they move into a new home. 
It's a new way of life. They become someone's son or daughter, perhaps someone's brother or sister. And they're introduced to a new way of life and doing things. And so it is the Holy Spirit brings us into the fellowship of God, the household of faith, brings us into this new way of life. And the Spirit is given to us as a gift from God, underlining again the personal intention and nature of this salvation. A gift, you see, is something that has intention about it. It has something that's got an element of relationship. A cow, for example, doesn't give milk in that kind of sense. You know, a a cow doesn't uh, say to the farmer, well, I know you need something to sell next week to put some food on the table, so I've got just the stuff you need. Milk is taken from it. There is no intention. But with something that's, that's given as a gift, there is thoughtfulness, there is planning, there is love, there is intention. And God the Father has done all of this, this lavishing, this gifting that he mentions in these verbs in the the chapter. He's done it through his Son who has come and embraced the weakness of human flesh that that salvation might be made possible. And then he's given us this Holy Spirit to bring this love to us so that it's not something that we just hear about but something that we receive. And it is into this plan and purpose, into this salvation that God calls us. It is something that's only fulfilled when we, individuals and church, are not kicking against what the Lord is doing, but rather are joining in. And so the call to us is not to say, well, I want to get the home run. I want to be the the big guy here. I want to do my thing but to bring our lives into the plan and purposes of God. There is a bigger story into which our personal experience fits and is given more meaning and significance. There is a horizon far beyond what we experience firsthand, far beyond just our interests and intentions and so on. And we are invited to be part of that story, part of that great, all-encompassing, loving, redeeming activity of God in our world. Now, of course, there are times when our personal and particular experience is hard. There are times when even those who have given their lives to following Jesus, even when we're seeking to fulfill the purposes of God in the world, find life unfair or cruel. The Apostle Paul knew that. We're reminded in the first verse of chapter 3 of this letter and in the first verse of chapter 4 that uh, he was in prison. And he was there not because they'd killed somebody or stolen some money. He was there because he'd been preaching the gospel. It was through his following Jesus that this had come. And surely the Apostle could have said to himself as he was writing this letter, Paul, what on earth are you on about? If this message is so great, then how come you're here in this prison? But even in captivity, he knew a greater freedom. 
Even in captivity, he knew there was a greater plan and purpose and that life was more fulfilling when given to the Lord because God is the author of all and the shaper of all and God is in the business of working his purposes out, of bringing his salvation to fullness, of overcoming all sin, all that is opposed to his perfection and bringing in a new creation of perfect fullness of life and peace and justice and harmony and beauty and so on. That said, Paul, is the story of life, the story of the world. And rather than try and opt out of it and just pursue Paul's interests, rather than denying that such a God and such a purpose exists, he resolved to be part of it. And he found in being part of it a meaning and a value so that he could say elsewhere, whether I'm in chains or in palaces or whatever, I care not for me to live as Christ. So where does that take or leave us? We're 2,000 years, living 2,000 years later, and who are not today at least in prison. In some cases, it takes us to the point where we still need to realize, that, we, or we should be realizing, that we still need to come to faith to enjoy this salvation that's been spoken about in these verses. That we need to understand and see things from God's perspective. Seeing that we're sinners who need a saviour. Lost people needing to be brought into the family of God. Through a living relationship with a living saviour. That is, our salvation is not a matter of asking ourselves if we believe in God. Even the devil believes in God. It's not a matter of asking if we are a good person good as the next person or whatever. Because salvation is from what God has done. He's the subject of all these verses, as I said in chapter 1, not us. And it's not a matter of thinking, well, we must be okay because we're, we're a church member. Because Jesus didn't ask us to join an organization. He said, follow me. And it's discipleship that counts. And so it is better for us to say, is this really, this story something that I am part of? Is it just something that someone else is doing and I'm only watching from a distance? Or really, am I too engaged in this following Jesus and knowing something of the fullness and the breadth of which the apostles describing here? Or again, we should be asking ourselves, am I concerned for the glory of God? Something that Paul mentions in verse 6. And in verse 12, and in verse 14. And that perhaps is really one of the key and one of the acid tests as to whether we've got it in terms of the gospel. Do we understand that it's about the praise of God's glory? Or are we thinking it should be God sorting my life out and seeing that everything's okay from my end? When we get up in the morning, what shapes our day? What's the concerns and ambitions of the day? Is there a concern to say, I want to please God? I want to do something for his ways and his purposes. God doesn't say to us then, you know, you have to go and um, book a flight to somewhere in West Africa to be a missionary and still be home for tea time. 
It's not saying something that necessarily is something that's going to make front page of the papers, but in the day-to-day stuff. Am I, am I just drifting through or am I aware that there's a plan and a purpose of God that I'm invited to be part of and to serve in and to give myself to? We got it. And beyond that first realization that I'm not boss of my own life, that the world does not owe me a living, should be the, the realization too that my life is best lived in following Jesus as a whole way of life. Paul will talk about a number of these responsibilities about how we serve later on in the letter and in two phases, the next few weeks and then at the beginning of the uh, next calendar year, we'll be looking more at this Ephesians letter, a letter written to the church and for the church. And the apostle will be spelling out more of these responsibilities and how it shapes life. But for today, this day, we gather and you're invited to be at the Lord's table with us. The Lord's table speaks, of course, of sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus for us. For what we offer is not just bread, not just wine, but bread that is the body of Christ. Not the body of Christ as he walked around Galilee teaching and and doing miracles, but the body of Christ as it was broken for us on the cross. The wine is offering to us the blood of Christ, not the blood that flowed in his veins as he preached in the synagogue and so on, but the wine, the, the blood that was poured out on the cross as he sacrificed himself for us. But as we take bread and take wine, so we are accepting that it is through Jesus and his sacrifice that we have salvation. We are saying with Paul all the in Christs and the in hymns that there are in these verses in Ephesians. It's about him and what he has done and not me. There used to be a strong tradition in Scotland of having to examine ourselves before we could take communion. Victoria might be able to tell you that it still exists in Lewis, does it? I think it's still there to to some extent. Uh, David's away preaching today, so you have to ask Victoria. It's still there in parts of the country, but it used to be everywhere that there was this strong tradition about examining yourself before you could come to the table. And it was done in the, how well have I done, how well have I lived, Now, we don't emphasize that to anything like the same extent, and there are pluses and minuses about that, but just in case anyone's wondering, I can tell you, I can tell you who is worthy to come. None of you. Not one of you. Not me either. Not one of us is good enough. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all made mistakes. We've all let down God down. We've all not done what we could do in his service. We, we've all sort of wanted to pursue at different times our agenda, not his agenda. But the blood and wine of the table is for sinners. 
It's for those who realize and recognize that we are not good enough. And not only that, we never will be good enough and can never make ourselves good enough. I think the mistake in the Scottish tradition was that when they did this examining, they looked back rather than looked forward. The issue is not how well have I done or how faithful have I been, because I'll, I'll never be worthy. But I think before, as we come to the table, there should be an examining in terms of what are my goals, though? What, what am I seeking for? Who or what am I serving? And it's not a case of as long as I'm doing okay and I'm in the winning side, that's fine. It's a case of realizing that there is this bigger story, this bigger picture into which we are called by the Lord. And as we take bread and wine, we acknowledge that the Christian life is about sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed for us and then our lives live for him. And so have that think and that examining quickly before we offer bread and wine. Not about how well have I lived, for that's not the issue. But who am I seeking to serve? Do I see Jesus in terms of his call, follow me? Or do I see Jesus in terms of he's following me around, making sure I'm okay? Do we see this history of of life in the world that the way that Paul pours it out in Ephesians 1 and says there's this great grand purpose of God who from purpose that's from before the beginning of time and who will finally bring into being that new creation of, of perfection and saying, do you want to be part of that? Or is having a slightly bigger house and a slightly bigger car more important? We cannot surely look at the span and scope of what Paul has outlined in Ephesians 1, 1 to 14 and think, well, that doesn't even matter very much. We surely cannot look at what he says about salvation and think, well, we can still follow on our own terms, a wee bit here and a wee bit there. We cannot surely say that our personal agendas and notions and our personal agendas and notions about church practices and programs override what the Lord calls us to be and do. We cannot surely. He gives himself for us and calls us to live for him not in a way that's just simply about duty, not simply in just a way that's about doing better but a better way that's entering into this far grander and greater work that he's doing in the world today. And which, in his grace, he says, come and join in. Come and be part of this. Follow me. Let us pray. Lord, we ask forgiveness for the times when we've made your salvation about not very much. Forgiveness for the times when we've not been concerned for the praise of your glory. 
Forgiveness for the times when we've sought to put our personal ideas, our personal agendas in front of what's right, what's good for the kingdom of God and in serving you. Lord, help us in and from these verses in in Ephesians to again be gripped and grasped by the immensity of your love for us and your purposes. And Lord, if there's until now been something keeping us back, something making us not sure, help us to overcome. Or if it's simply been that that these words about your greatness and everything else just bounce off, Lord, through your Spirit, break the stubbornness of our hearts and minds. And help us to see the glory of being received by your grace. The glory and greatness of being brought into your family. Adopted by a heavenly father. Made brother and sister of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may your Holy Spirit lead us into such fullness of life. In Jesus name. Amen.